Thank you so much for listening to the Jesus Family Podcast, where we want to help you follow Jesus and find family. We are in a teaching series called You Are What You Think, how the enemy attacks you, how to fight back, and how to know that you're winning. These episodes are recorded live every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central on Facebook and YouTube, and then I will take that, edit it down, and release it the following Monday for the Jesus Family Podcast. So if you want to watch any of these episodes live, please join me this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook or YouTube. Welcome to episode 15 of a series that started off being called You Are What You Think, and halfway through, after my study uh, in Ephesians 6, I've changed it to a first century guide to defeating the devil. I think both are applicable, um, but it just kind of shows a little bit of, uh, of how I've grown and changed through this series. Excited to share some of that with you tonight. So we are in episode 15, and last week we looked at the sword of the Spirit, which we actually took two weeks to look at. And I wanted to say, um, and just pause and use this episode as a way to share how that has affected how I've changed and grown in my Bible study. I want to share some of that with you. It's a work in progress, um, but it's important enough to me that I want to share it with you. So two goals uh, at the top uh, for this episode. I want to start to recap what I've learned through the series. This episode, and Lord willing, next episode, we'll finish this series of You Are What You Think or A First Century Guide to Defeating the Devil. So I want to begin to recap that uh, in this episode. And then the second goal is to give you a new, with an asterisk, a new way to study the Bible. It might not be new to you, but it, it was new to me, and it might just be a slight change, or it may be a completely different way to approach the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, something that has, uh, you know, I grew up with near and dear, continue to be near and dear, the foundation of so much of what we believe. Um, and so I would just want to share a new way to appreciate, to read, to live out, and to study uh, the Bible. Now with that, as we're beginning to recap this series, let me do a quick recap of episodes one through nine. Uh, so episode one, we talked about the fact that this world is really, really messed up. Satan is behind it all. There is a person behind the problems. And then we looked at the fact that Satan's primarily attack is through lies. That's the primary way he, he attacks us. Jesus called him the liar or the father of all lies. And though in episode four, we looked at the why lies are so deadly. They may not seem like a big deal, but they are in fact deadly to us. Episode five, we talked about the unholy trinity, that the devil doesn't fight fair, and it's designed to overwhelm us. Episode six, we looked at the fact that even Christians are not immune to the deception of the devil. It's not just a problem out there, it's also a problem in here. In episode seven, when we started to actually introduce the armor of God, I said, don't focus on the armor like a breastplate and a helmet and a shield, but focus on what's attached to the armor faith, salvation, righteousness. In episode eight, we looked at the belt of truth, and that is putting Jesus into your mind or our mind constantly, just saturating ourselves with Jesus because Jesus is truth. In episode nine, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, that that is right living towards others. There's an aspect of right living towards others, that it's not just us, it's something that we have to do towards others. That was the first nine episodes, and here's where we've been since then. In episode 10, we looked at the shoes of readiness. It's shoes of the readiness. They're sharing the gospel of peace with those to whom God has prepared us. And we get that from Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that when Paul introduced 
the armor of God, none of the concepts themselves were new because he had introduced all of them in Easter eggs throughout the first five chapters of the book of Acts, uh, the book of Ephesians. In an episode chapter, uh, episode 11, the shield of faith, it's our belief in Jesus. So it's the shield of faith, but it's evidenced by action, faith enough to trust in God, faith enough to love others, faith enough to pr uh, protect unity in the faith at all costs. Uh, episode 12, let me take these off. Episode 12, the helmet of salvation. It's putting the full weight of our trust in God's salvation through Jesus. We did an aspect of, of, of salvation that it is past, present, and future, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. And the helmet of salvation is putting the full weight of our trust into that process, past, present, and future of God's salvation through Jesus. Episode 13, uh, really was just a series of questions. I wanted to pause and really try to dive deeper into the sword of the Spirit. And then last week, episode 14, the sword of the Spirit, my working definition, it's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to live out the words of Jesus. And so we talked about this interaction between the Spirit and the Word and uh, why he used the word rhema and not the word logos or not the word graphe, some different words for word. So we got into all that last episode. And then in this episode, how does this, if at all, how does this change how we approach Bible study? Because that is a central practice in the Christian faith and rightfully so, and does what we've learned so far in this series on spiritual warfare and on uh, the Word of God, which we looked at last week, does this change at all our approach to this fundamental practice and discipline in the Christian faith? That's what I want to look at. So how I was taught uh, growing up was pretty simple, that the Bible is God's Word and that it's all authoritative and it's all applicable. Um, and I, you know, from a young age, I learned the stories that it's true and, and I still believe all of that. Some of the, I guess the nuances began to come out later on when I realized that not everyone actually followed all the Bible because some of the Bible, primarily the Old Testament, had some things that we didn't um, follow, like animal sacrifices, having to go to the temple in Jerusalem, because there's not currently a temple in Jerusalem. There are certain commands in the Old Testament that we didn't follow, but there were some that we did. And it was, the hardest thing for me is trying to figure out which ones in the Old Testament we followed and which ones we didn't, because a lot of times people would say, this is what we do because the Bible says it right here in Leviticus. But then they wouldn't follow the next command in the next verse in Leviticus. So it was very confusing for me growing up. Like I remember um, in high school, guys getting, uh, you know, older men in our church getting mad at the teenagers in our church if they were starting to get tattoos. The Bible says you shall not, you know, cut yourselves uh, with the, for the dead and have tattoos on your body. It's in, right there in the book of Leviticus. They showed us the verse. Now, the, the hard thing for me to understand was, okay, why didn't they follow any other command? That whole chapter in Leviticus was full of commands that they didn't follow, but they picked that one out. And they also didn't give a hard time to the World War II buddies who got tattoos all over the place in World War II. It was just the teenagers that couldn't get them. And it's, it was just this uneven application of the Bible. And then the, the more I dove into it, I realized that there's, there's just, there's so many different genres in the Bible. It's not just one 
absolute same. I mean, there's poetry, there's wisdom, there's narrative, there's law, there's prophecy, there's history, there's letters or epistles, there's apocalyptic literature like Daniel or Revelation, and you have to approach each of them slightly differently because there are different types of literature in the same way that you would approach an instruction manual today, an instruction manual and a fiction novel the same way, or, you know, a, a couple of different types of genre. So it, it really just kind of created this convoluted mixture of different ideas and theories and approaches to the Bible. Um, and then I went to school and I got a, a bachelor's and a master, uh, master's degree and a doctorate degree and then taught the Bible for years and tried to do the best way I knew how. Um, but this series, and particularly where I've been over the last couple of years, really has narrowly focused and crystallized some of the things that I've thought but wasn't really sure about um, because it was evidenced by Scripture. So that's what I want to share with you. This is not just a culmination of what I've learned in this series, but really over the last couple of years and really last couple of decades in my journey. So what do I want you to know? The catalyst behind all this was really Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. If you've been familiar at all with my story over the last couple of years, this has been a catalytic, life-changing verse for me, like a keystone verse that unlocks so many other things about um, the church and how we're supposed to operate and how the earliest Christians followed Jesus. And I began to compare and contrast that with how I've followed Jesus and, you know, and Christianity today looks like, what looks similar, what looks dissimilar. And really it was this first part, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Because again, my previous approach uh, with the, you know, with Bible study was, okay, apostles' teaching, that's the Bible. Fellowship, that's just hanging out and doing church stuff. The breaking of bread, that's either eating or the Lord's Supper. And prayer, that's, okay, we pray. And so it's easy to say, okay, that's exactly what we do today. We follow the apostles' teaching. We follow fellowship. They follow the breaking of bread and follow prayer. And through this Bible study, these five letters of Bible study, it's an acrostic I'm going to give out to you, I began to realize that no, actually there's some slight and some major differences with all four of these areas with how I think they practice them and how we practice them today. And it was this Bible study method that helped me kind of unearth this and then change just, it was just a paradigm shift of, of so many different things. And it was this way, this method that that I've kind of crystallized into these five letters, B-I-B-L-E. I know it's an acrostic, it's kind of cheesy. There are some old preacher habits that are going to die hard for me. So here is my approach to Bible study. I'm gonna use this verse, Acts 2.42, as kind of a, a an example of how that's been played out in real life. So here's what the B stands for in Bible study. This is the way I approach it. This is the way I would teach it. This is the way I would advocate that you approach Bible study as a follower of Jesus. The B stands for begin with Jesus, which seems really, really sim simple, almost simplistic. Okay, begin with Jesus. Of course, we're supposed to be begin with Jesus. That's not necessarily done. It's implied, but it's not necessarily done because in some ways, it's we don't begin with Jesus. We begin with the Bible. You know, I've, I've actually seen major churches, large denominational leading churches say, hey, we're, you know, we follow the Bible. It's the 66 books, which 
we should follow the Bible. I'm not disagreeing with that, but what do you do with the first three centuries of Christian history when they didn't have the Bible in that set form? The canon hadn't been crystallized yet for the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. Like these first Christians in Acts 2.42, none of the New Testament in Acts 2.42 had even been written yet. So they couldn't follow the Bible. So where did they begin? They began with Jesus. If you look at the apostles' teaching, and and I do a deep dive in other episodes and and blog posts, and I've written so much about it. The apostles' teaching is is the apostles' lectures, and what were they teaching in the temple courts? And I believe that the, the, the essence of the apostles' teaching is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not a reinterpretation of the Old Testament. It is not a guidebook of how Christians should live. The apostles' teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is about one thing. It's about Jesus. It's, it's like the approach, to use a restaurant uh, illustration, instead of a buffet, it's a fish house. Like there's only one thing on the menu and it's Jesus. So here's why I say begin with Jesus rather than begin with the Bible. Because first, the first century Christians didn't even have the Bible as we have it. But secondly, Jesus himself was incredibly explicit that he, not the scriptures that they had at that time, which was the Old Testament, that he was the final authority. Let me give you a couple of them. Like, I, do you believe in the Bible? Yes. Do you believe what the Bible says? Yes. So let's take seriously what Jesus himself says about the ultimate authority. Meaning, let me give you a couple of examples. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. He doesn't say, do a better job of keeping the Old Testament law. He doesn't say, obey the Old Testament scriptures. He says, follow me, follow my commands. Okay, chapter uh, in John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, did Jesus believe in the Old Testament? Yes, absolutely. He reinforced it, but he also said that he was there to fulfill it so that we wouldn't have to follow the Old Testament law because we are now under a new covenant of grace, not under the covenant of the law, the Old Covenant. So Jesus didn't say to anyone, hey, follow the Old Testament better. He said, follow my teaching, obey my teaching. And my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Uh, John 14, verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So this is just trying to set an, set the precedent that Jesus anchored ultimate authority in himself, not just the pages of the Old Testament law at the time. John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commands, not the Old Testament, follow the Bible or just obey the Bible, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. So <clears throat> how is this different than how I was raised? And the way I was raised was just obey the Bible, obey the Bible, obey the Bible, obey the Bible. Well, which parts of the Bible? Well, the parts that we want to emphasize. And, and as I learned as a Bible teacher, you can be you can get pretty creative with saying you know what you, getting the Bible to say what you think you want it to say, and that's why there's a whole bunch of heresies out there, and they all claim Bible verses. Jesus anchored final authority not in the pages of the Old Testament law; he anchored ultimate authority in himself. Obey my teaching, my words, my commands. That's why the B in Bible studies begin with Jesus. So if you're studying 
the Gospels, okay, well, Jesus is right there. If you're studying something in the New Testament, okay, well, start with Jesus as the starting point. Okay, Paul said something. Okay, oh, did Jesus speak to that at all? Okay, uh, is there an Old Testament verse you want to look at? Okay, but what did Jesus speak into that? Jesus trumps everything. And that's why it's so important to begin with Jesus because <clears throat> it's really easy to misinterpret, uh, you know, an Old Testament scripture to take something that was, you know, written to the Israelites for a specific time for a specific purpose and say, oh, well, we're going to, you know, take out the Israelites and we're going to put in America and we're going to start applying God's old covenant promises to this nation state of Israel to the modern nation state of America. That's it's easy to do that, and people do that all the time. It's really easy to get, um, you know, flustered about the minutia of some New Testament theology. Well, did Paul really mean this when he talked about women in the church, or did he really mean that? And you can just get, go sidetracked. You know, it's really, really hard to misinterpret when Jesus said, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Like that's really hard to misinterpret. If we just begin with Jesus and make him the focal point of all of our Bible study and his teaching, we interpret everything through Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate authority, that changes and simplifies so much. And yes, we see Jesus and we know Jesus through Scripture. And so Scripture is an authority, but the ultimate authority is Jesus as revealed through Scripture, primarily the Gospels. So begin with Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is authoritative. All scripture is from God. Jesus is the ultimate authority. He claimed that himself in the pages of scripture. So begin with Jesus. The I in Bible study is inhabit the text and investigate everything. This is more of just like a speed. It's just an approach. We love to do drive-bys. We love to say, hey, I want to read the whole Bible in a year, and so I'm just going to read four chapters in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New Testament. And if I do that for 365 days, I'll have read, you know, the entire Bible in a year, which is great, and we just check it off of our list. So inhabit the text is just slowing down. So it's not even driving by something at 70 miles an hour. It's not even driving slower so you can get a good look at a building. And it's not even walking alongside. You know, it's it's the difference between driving by something at 70, 70 miles an hour versus parking and walking in a store and just inhabiting that store and just being in that store. Like we've driven past so many buildings so many different times. And we've thought, I wonder what's in there. Inhabiting the text is stopping, slowing long enough to actually go in look around. So try to look at, you know, for me, in um, Acts 2.42, when I started to inhabit the text, I realized, okay, I've always thought that apostles' teaching was simply the Bible. But at that point in Acts 2.42, those first Christians didn't have the Bible because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. I wouldn't have had that connection until I realized, I stopped realize to say, it's not just a one-to-one comparison of how we follow Jesus today is automatically how they must have followed them back then. There's got to be a little bit of difference if they didn't have the New Testament written down like we have it today at that moment yet. So you got to inhabit the text and investigate everything. Just be curious. So much of, of Christianity sometimes can be, you know, don't ask questions, just 
you know, do whatever the preacher says and, and don't, you know, look behind every rock. But I, I think there's a benefit to doing that, to looking behind every rock because God is truth. And if you search for truth, you're going to ultimately find God. And he's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your investigation. So just dig in and slow down and just you, you pick up things like in your, in your work. There's probably some things that you've picked up in your work. It's a skill, it's a trade, it's a shortcut that you've only done, that you've only learned after years and years of years of doing it again and again. If you, you know, walk into a job and you and you work alongside someone who's been there for 40 years doing the same thing, they've figured out some things over the years that will help you. And it's something that you only that you can only learn through experience. So that's what I mean by inhabiting the text. I think it would benefit us instead of just you know doing a drive-by of Bible reading every day, just take one text and say, hey, I'm going to spend a month here. One chapter, I'm just going to spend a month. I'm going to read it. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to think about it throughout the day. You can get so much more. Like the perfect case in point is I've really focused on um, the book of Ephesians. That was one of the first Bible books that I wanted to try to commit to memory. And this happened like in 1999. I was a missionary in Africa, had a lot of free time. So I said, hey, I really want to start committing large portions of the book of Ephesians to mem memory because I think it's short enough I can do that and I really want to learn more about it. And so now it's 2023. So it's 24 years later and I'm still learning things. And it's been literally in my brain for four, 24 years. There's just an aspect of, of some of this stuff that only happens over time. So I have to sit, I have to chew on it. And for me, the last couple of years, you know, I've sat with Acts 2, I've sat with the Gospels uh, as, you know, in just focus as opposed to everything else. And I've learned so much. So that's what I mean. Inhabit the text, slow down, you know, wherever the Spirit leads you, say, hey, I just want to park here for a while, for a season, for a week, for a month, and investigate everything and start asking questions. Don't just assume, hey, this is what the my preacher says it means, or this is what a commentary says it means, or this is what my little you know Bible notes says it means. Start asking, like, hey, put yourself in that mindset, in the mind of the original readers. Try to put yourself in, like, a Paul's writing. Okay, wh what was Paul trying to communicate? You know, like, just try to put yourself there. Just insert yourself into the story, look around, and just see what you see and begin to inhabit the text. And it becomes alive because the Spirit begins to talk with you and in you and through the text as the sword of the Spirit. That's, that's what I mean. Inhabit the text and ask lots of questions. Go slow. The B in Bible study is build better questions. Build better questions. And what I mean by that is we can come in with the first set of questions, but as we sit there longer, there are some other questions that are going to come up. Like when I was a pastor, people would come in and they would need counseling. And uh, if they would need counseling and I had time, hey, I would love to help. And what I found out over the years, one of the tricks of the trade I learned over the years, is that most of the time, what people started off with, hey, I need you to help with this, didn't usually... They usually didn't start with the thing that was really bugging them. They needed to warm up to it. They needed to feel trust or they needed to feel safe or maybe they didn't even know what the real thing was. So a lot of times they would come in 
with one question, but really there was another deeper question that they had to get to, they had to discover, or they had to feel safe enough to ask. So this whole idea of building better questions, it really just builds off of the I to inhabit the text and investigate everything, to really sit with the Word of God until it becomes alive in our minds, until it becomes alive, you know, in our vision that we just, that we see it, we inhabit it. And again, this is what happened in, um, in Acts 2.42. So let me use this as an example. So I started, um, I, the reason I looked at Acts 2.42 is I was, Years, a couple years ago now, I was interviewing with the church, um, and they wanted some help with discipleship. And they said, "Hey, you know, I'll give you some 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 of the stuff I've been learning on discipleship." And so I wanted to go and just read through the New Testament again. And this verse just really jumped out. Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the reason this jumped out at me as discipleship is because Acts two forty one is when 3,000 people were baptized and were added to the church that day. And this is the next verse. And so this is the next verse of how they discipled 3,000 new converts. I said, okay, this is great. But then as I began to sit with it, more and more questions began to form and I began to build better questions. Because I started off with, okay, apostles teaching, you know, that's preaching the Bible and fellowship. We got to do stuff together and then breaking of bread. That's probably the Lord's Supper and prayer. Okay, that's our discipleship model. But then I began to build better questions, meaning, okay, the apostles' teaching, like, why didn't Luke use the word scripture? They devoted themselves to the scriptures, or they devoted themselves to the word, or they devoted themselves to the Biblos, the book. You know, that's where we get the word Bible. He used this particular word, uh, this phrase, the apostles' teaching. And that led me to, you know, that I think that the apostles' teaching was the gospels. I had to get to that question to even ask that. And then uh, another deeper question I asked was, Okay, and again, this wasn't an immediate question. This was me sitting with it for months at this time. The interview had come and gone and the church had come and gone at that point. But this scripture had still sat with me. And then another question came up. is like, where did these guys get these four things? Okay, this is the, the, the first description of the earliest church. This is how they discipled the earliest believers. And they devoted themselves to four particular things. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. The next level question that really began to open my eyes was, where did they actually get these four things? I mean, was there like a, a retreat and all 12 disciples brought their best idea and they voted on the, the top four and they went with that? Like, where did they actually figure this stuff out? And so I began to look back in the gospels for that. And I began to see so many parallels with Jesus's final teaching in John chapter 14 through 17. I've, I've shared this before, but you see aspects of all four of these things in John 14 through 17, which was the last teaching that Jesus gave his disciples the night he was betrayed, which would make complete sense. They're just doing the last thing that Jesus talked to them about. And in John 14 through 17, it's about these four things, and it's also about how to remain in him, and it's about how to, how to live in the power of the Spirit. And so I think this is how we actually live out the, 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 we remain in Jesus and how we live in the power of the Spirit is through these four things. So connecting Acts 2 with John 14 through 17 was not something that came immediately to mind. I had to sit with it long enough until a better question came through, I believe, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But that's what I mean by investigate everything until you can build better questions. I came in with one set of questions and I went out with a different set of questions. That's the B, build better questions. The L is listen to the Spirit 
and live out towards others. There has to be an interaction between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. It's why we looked at last week that um, Paul talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There has to be this interaction between God's spirit and our spirit. And I know sometimes that can freak out some folks if you grew up in an evangelical background and you're a little afraid of the spirit because people start getting crazy with the spirit. But I mean, Jesus himself talked about this in John chapter 14. He says this, all this I've spoken while with you, but the advocate, this is John 14, 25 through 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus himself said, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to interact in your spirit and remind you of everything that I've said to you. So when we do Bible study, we have to listen to the Spirit and maybe we'll be reminded of something that Jesus taught. That's one of the things that, you know, I would advocate for everyone, that we we learn the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so much that when you're going through a, a difficult time, you have a question, or you're just sitting in a quiet moment, that many times the Holy Spirit, since you've already put it in your brain by listening or reading the Gospels, he'll bring it back to memory. Oh, this reminds me of something that Jesus said, or this reminds me of something that Jesus said. And the Spirit, if we do our part by putting the Gospels continually into our mind, then the Holy Spirit will remind us of those things we've already put into our mind, and he'll apply it to specific situations, and he'll give us the power to live it out. So that's what it means to listen to the Spirit. It's not just, hey, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do something crazy because the Spirit's telling me it's okay. No, no, no. The Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has already taught us. And then the second part of the L is to live out towards others. And we see this from the book of Acts. When you see the Spirit interacting with the church or the first disciples in the book of Acts, it's always, and the Spirit led us here, and the Spirit led us to this person, and the Spirit led us to do this, or the Spirit led us to interact with these people. He's always leading us towards others to, to, to share the gospel, to demonstrate the power of the gospel, to love others for the gospel. So the, the role of the Spirit is not just our personal therapist to, you know, make us feel better and help us to forgive our dad or, you know, it's just it's not just our personal therapist. It's very outward focused. So when we listen to the Spirit, and if you want to know if the Spirit's speaking to us, don't be surprised because the Spirit's tendency is to, when He speaks to us, He's going to speak to us towards others. It's not just enough to say, oh, here's this neat little nugget of biblical wisdom. He's going to be driving us to love others, to speak to our neighbors, to, to take a stand, to be a witness towards others, towards our family, towards, you know. So it's going to love, uh, it's going to live. If we listen to the Spirit, we're going to live it out towards others. That's why I put that second part of the L in there. And then the E is end like Jesus. And here's the failsafe. If, if you're listening to the Spirit and you think that the Spirit is leading you to do something that doesn't look, act, or feel, or love like Jesus, well, then that's probably not the Spirit. And that's the way that, we, that the Spirit and the Word interact with each other. Um, and that's why the, the bookends of the Bible in Bible study is begin with Jesus, end like Jesus. Begin with Jesus, and at the end, end like Jesus. So however you study the Bible, if you study the Bible in the right way, it should have you thinking, acting, and loving more like Jesus. And if not, 
If we don't love more like Jesus, if we're more like the teachers of the law, if we're more like the Pharisees, you know, if we're hypocritical, if we're self-righteous, if, if we're judgmental towards others, then we're not really engaging in Bible study. We're just filling our mind with knowledge, but not with the love of, of, of God and the love of the Spirit. So if we truly engage in Bible study, B-I-B-L-E, we're going to end like Jesus, which means we're going to think, we're going to act, we're going to love more like Jesus. And that's, that's the litmus test. You know, if, if people don't like what we're saying or don't like what we're doing, or if they're walking away from church, like I want them to walk away from church because they, you know, I want to be accused of acting too much like Jesus, not be accused of not acting enough like Jesus. And sometimes when people walk away, it's because they, they don't think that we're acting enough like Jesus. And so I, let's end like Jesus. So let me just recap this real quick. Begin with Jesus, that's the B. Inhabit the text and investigate everything. Ask lots of questions, that's the I. B, build better questions. Go from the questions that you that you've come with to the questions that the Spirit begins to put in you because that's when the Spirit begins to interact with you. And then L, listen to the Spirit. What is the Spirit teaching you through this Scripture and how can you live it out towards others? And E, end like Jesus. End like Jesus. So that's what you should know. That's my little acrostic for Bible study, what I'm trying to develop and live out in my own life. Why should we care about this stuff? Well, for me, let me just give you a little testimony. This has been so much more life-giving. This has been so much more life-giving to me rather than just trying to, to study, to you know get a little nugget of wisdom, to impress someone in my next sermon. You know, I'm, I'm learning for me and it's, it's life-giving because the Spirit is interacting with me as I, as I sit with and sit in and inhabit the text of Scripture. And this is, I should care about this because I wanna get it right. Like I wanna study the scriptures the way that the earliest church approached the scriptures. And I wanna follow the commands of Jesus like the earliest church followed the, I wanna be like the earliest church. And I don't wanna become a Pharisee. And I don't wanna become a self-righteous hypocrite that Jesus spoke out so much against where I have all the biblical knowledge, but I don't have the love of Jesus. Like I wanna get this right. That's why I care, and hopefully you care. And it's been incredibly rewarding and life-giving for me. And then how do we live this out? Well, that's just, that's between you and the Spirit. Begin with Jesus. Pick a text that you think the Spirit's leading you to, inhabit it, and investigate everything until you begin to build better questions and listen to what the Spirit is teaching you through the Word and how He's bringing back the, the commands of Scripture. And so if... If you haven't been there in a while, I mean, the easiest thing for me, the safest place for me, that's what I use the hashtag of red letter diet, is just start with the Gospels. Start with Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Just sit there. Like, what would it be like to spend a year in the Gospel of Luke? Like, how much would that benefit you? So, but pick, pick a spot and listen to the Spirit and then live it out towards others and end up like Jesus. So, that's what I'm learning about Bible study, the B-I-B-L-E. And Lord willing, next episode, we'll wrap up this series and I'll give you some final thoughts and a preview of where we're going to go next. Thank you so much for joining. See you soon.